0: War Party U is not licensed by, affiliated with, or endorsed by the University of Utah or its athletic programs. The views and opinions expressed on the War Party U weekly podcast are those of War Party U and War Party U alone. Go Utes! What's you nation? It's me, Matty Aces. And this is the War Party You Weekly Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan Boyce and Michelle Bodkin, providing the most half-assed podcast you've ever heard of. And you keep coming back for more, don't you? All two dozen of you. We love you. Thanks for joining us, as always. Well, we made it through. Bye week is over. Well, by week one of two, but, you know, let's not worry about November right now. Let's worry about red October, baby. I am looking for a resurgence of what we saw last October when this team really started firing on all cylinders. I'm really excited for the coming month. Uh, I like the Utes' chances of going 4-0 and this month and, uh, and, and you know, over the next four anyway and, uh, you know, between now and the next bye week so... Uh, I I understand that stretches a little bit into November, but let's not get hung up on details. You don't come here for factual analysis. You come here for hyperbole, fun, and shenanigans. So that's what we do. Lots to come this week. I mean, we don't have a game from last week to talk about, but we sure do have a game coming up this weekend in Corvallis at the Big Potato Salad, Reeser Stadium, Utah, Oregon State. Shout to all of my beaver believers out there. You're going down this weekend. Jesse, Beth, Josh, you know who you are. So do I. So stick around. Here comes War Party U. Like we do. Welcome back in. War Party U. It's me, Matt. But you knew that. Well, the Utes may not have been in action last weekend, but the rest of the conference was, uh, and so let's take a look at how our conference mates fared, uh, including, uh, you know, looking at uh, upcoming opponents for uh, for for our Utes. Uh, Cal in Oregon went and had a had a, had a bit of a brawl in in Autzen Stadium. Uh, Oregon. Uh, ended up winning that thing 17-7 to uh, but Cal's defense is is, is scary good and uh, you're really looking forward to matching up against them in a few weeks uh, that's going to be a fun game. Uh, Oregon poured it on in the second half. Cal was actually up 7-0 at halftime and uh, you know Herbert looked good at times uh, you, that Cal defense though man it's, it, it, nothing, to, nothing to sniff at upset of the weekend uh, Stanford gets over on Washington 23-13 and that's more like the Stanford we thought we were going to get uh, you know we've we, we mentioned several times already this season on, on on the show that that Stanford just hasn't looked like what we expected them to be and that defensive effort was you would, you know was something and uh, you know Davis Mills is stepping in kind of get, getting a feel for things and and, and and looking at looking a lot better dude through for almost 300 yards and a touchdown Um and uh cameron scarlett ran all over all over washington so you know i don't think washington is quite what uh what we thought uh you know they could be although you know with the turnover they had uh, with, uh players leaving from last season to this year you know peterson's a a great coach and he's he's got him you know he's, he's got him dialed in but it's still uh, some inexperience out there who knows if that's if that's the case uh what happened but uh, washington now four and two in conference and uh, you know, Oregon clearly leading the way in the north now that uh, Oregon-Washington game is going to be a lot of fun. Arizona went in to Boulder, gets the win 35-30 over Colorado. Uh, Arizona, the eh, early leaders in the, in, in the Pac-12 South, I don't know that that'll hold up. I don't think that they're quite built for the long haul this year. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they've got some... They've got some work to do, but right now in first place, uh, Colorado falls to 3 and two in conference, or three and two overall, one and one in uh, in Pac-12 play. Um, Washington at four and two is overall one and two in Pac play, and you know that's why you tune into this show because we're we're not professionals. <laughs> in fact, I think last week I called USC UCLA, but you know those interchangeable SoCal whatever. Our upcoming opponent, Oregon State, goes into the Rose Bowl and gets a win 48-31 over UCLA. Uh, I don't even know what to think. I think Oregon State's a lot better uh, than they have been. I, I think uh, uh, Jonathan smith got them, uh got them on the up and up. Um, they definitely um, you know they, they definitely look uh, look, you know, look good offensively. Uh their 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 the quarterback Jake Luton passed for 285 yards and five touchdowns in that game. Um, three of those went to Isaiah Hodges, Hodgins who's who's a, a legit receiver. So the OU's are gonna have their uh um, their work cut out for them uh this Saturday at the big potato salad. Uh but it's gonna be a good time. <clears throat> you know, looking looking down the pipe, you know, we've got you know games coming up. Um, you know, in the next few weeks that'll really, um, that'll really kind of determine the, you know, how the season is. If we can see a tear like we did last year in October, I think that, uh, you know, we're poised for some, uh, for, for a lot of fun. We need everybody staying healthy. We need to get Moss back on the Schneide now, you know, who knows if, uh, if, uh, You know, if we can rest Zach Moss against Oregon State, we've shown that we have the stable of very capable running backs backing him up that can get the job done. And if it's if there's any question, I think we've got the horses to be able to go in there and win without Zach Moss. And if we can't beat Oregon State without Zach Moss, then um, you know, then it's a whole different conversation. Um, you know, it, it always seems to be a, a, a tight battle with Oregon State, no matter where the two programs are, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, next, this, you know, the, the the upcoming week, uh, this this coming weekend, in addition to Utah and Oregon State, uh, Colorado goes up to Otson at number 13, Oregon, and uh, you know. Oregon's favored by three touchdowns in that game, so you know I'd probably, I'd probably, i probably take Colorado to cover just because it is the Pac-12 and anything can happen. Um, and you know those are usually the games where somebody stubs their toe and, 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 and one of the one of the lower teams rises up and, and makes things interesting for the conference race. Uh, that's on Friday night. Uh, Saturday, Washington State is at Arizona State. Arizona State popping into the top 25, ranked number 18 right now. That's going to be a fun one to watch. See what happens down in the desert. USC is at Notre Dame. So, you know, no conference implications in that one. Just a good old fashioned rivalry dogfight. Notre Dame's favored by 11. Uh, and depending on which USC team shows up, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, now, Washington and Arizona are the nightcap on Saturday night in Tucson. So. You know, a lot of interesting games to, to look at. Utah's currently favored by 13.5 um, over Oregon State, which is, you know, which, which is, yeah, I mean, yeah, nice two touchdown favorite, but that's, as, you know, we, we, we know better than to take that for, for what it's worth. That's just to get people to bet. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what shakes down. In Corvallis, but you know the after the after the loss to USC, uh, Utah dropped from number 10 to number 19 in the AP. Uh, the win over Washington State bumped us up a couple of spots to 17, and the bye week bumped us up another couple of spots. So currently ranked number 15 in the country, um, and you know with the potential if Arizona State can take care of business against Washington State on Saturday afternoon, you've got. You know, two top 20 teams facing off in Salt Lake City the week after at, uh, you know, for a great 4 p.m. Mountain Time kickoff, 6 p.m. Eastern, perfect time to get a bunch of eyeballs on Pac-12 football, two ranked teams going at it in a beautiful venue at a beautiful stadium with an electric atmosphere and what? we on the Pac-12 network. Brilliant move, Larry Scott. We need to fire this guy now. I mean, come on. There's enough nights where it's not, you know, it's not a huge, you know, nationally nationally relevant matchup, and we've got to wait for the damn truck races to end on Fox Sports 1 or find the alternative channel that the game is going to start on now because of, uh, you know, it, other games going long, and, you know, that happens, I get that, but, for real, you've got two potential, both teams have to win this weekend, obviously, Um, I think that uh, a Utah loss from 15, we would be very fortunate to stay in the top 25, uh, if, 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 if things don't go well against Oregon State. Guarantee that Arizona State will drop out of the top 25 if they lose to Washington State. But, you know, both teams—you, I—I know, I think both teams should win. Although Washington State, man, they're—they're—I uh, think they are you know, they they may go down and finally play pissed off. You know, we heard it—we heard about it when when they came to town and played played here. Both teams coming off tough losses. Utah just handled them, took care of business, and dominated. Uh, but we we also know that washington state can just start throwing it everywhere and score in chunks and bunches uh you know there's there's no betting line on it right now it's even so that's uh basically kind of a three-point nod to washington state being the road team but uh but that should be fun and so let's assume we've got it let's see let's assume both teams win and you got Say 13 against 16. Let's say they both move up two spots. Let's see. Let's say they stay right where they are. This is a top 20 matchup in the middle of the afternoon in a prime time slot, and we're relegated to the Pac-12 network, so nobody can see it. It's a joke. It needs to change. We need to move. We, this conference will not survive if this is how we're going to market things. If this is how we're going to allow things to go. It's already an uphill battle. We need to be pulling out all the stops and act like a big boy conference. You know, I don't know where the contracts sit. I don't know if it'd be cheaper just to get rid of the damn network and sell the rights to all the games, to ESPN and Fox. We definitely get more exposure. We definitely get more 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 viewership uh, because that's just, you know, if we want to get the brand out front, uh, you know, and, and, and fight this East Coast bias that is inherent, we need to have our premier games in front of as many eyeballs as possible, and it makes zero sense to relegate it to the piece of crap network that, we're, that we've that we got right now. So, that's what I think, and uh, take my opinion or don't, you know, that's, uh, but, but from this fan's perspective, now, you know, I happen to have a, a, a I'm, on, I'm on cable and I have the Pac-12 network, so I don't miss games, but... I don't miss games anyway. I'll you know, whatever. You know, there I there have been times where if I had to, I'll you know, I I, I love listening to to the call on the radio. It takes me back there was a season a few years ago, years ago, pretty a long time ago. I didn't have TV, I didn't have anything at the house. I listened to almost an entire season of Utah football. In fact, if I recall correctly, it was the inaugural season in the Pac twelve. Listen to the entire thing at my house on the radio. I went and watched a few games here and there with friends and whatnot, but most of the season I sat down on my back porch, grilled up some food, had my own little private tailgate in 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 the backyard, and listened to Riley call the games on the radio. And I'll tell you what, it is fun. It is a good time. It took me back to when I was a kid listening to Marcroft call all the games. Saturday afternoon, hurry and get the chores done so I can hunker down. And uh, you know, if the chores weren't done, be out raking leaves with the radio on in the backyard, listening to Mar- Mark Marcroft paint the picture of the game. And uh, you know, that's something that I think in in today's world of of, of media of saturation, that uh, that you know sometimes sometimes can get lost is that experience of uh, of, of sitting down and letting uh, a, a, a skilled play-by-play guy and a skilled color man. Um, Paint the picture for you and let you know what's going on and 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 and, 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 and tell you the story. Uh, it's uh, it was the you know the great Vince Scully the Dodger announcer talked about how sometimes as an announcer it was just his job to know when to get the hell out of the way and let the ambient noise tell the story. Um, and uh, and you wow know, well, I could I could go on for hours about that man listening to him call games as a kid, but. As often happens, I got off on a tangent that was not intended. But that's what you love about this show, right? You never know quite what you're going to get. Wow, well, a second ago, Matt was talking about football, and then he said something about the, and how do we get on Dodger baseball? It's playoff season, that's how. And uh, always on, in my heart on my mind. Good memories, good times. Make memories with your friends, no matter what. That's what this the life is about, experiences. And so, you know, here comes Saturday. We've got another youth football game. We're on the road. Man, I would love to be in Corvallis this weekend. Unfortunately, was able, unable to pull the roadie off. And uh, But, as I like to do, I will be hitting up Mr. Albert Gamboa and his fantastic remodeled man cave and to call this a man cave is an insult to man caves everywhere it's just not fair to them honestly because this is not a man cave this is a sports bar that he has built in his basement i can't wait we're going to be doing some I'll, i'll be doing some some live streams this weekend from from the gamboa man cave palace of Ute fanaticism and bar and grill um I'll, uh, we'll break off a tour. I know pretty much everybody listening to this right now has probably already seen the video tour of this fantastic, fantastic shrine to youthdom, but, uh, nonetheless, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll, we'll check out, we'll check things out. We'll scope the menu. We'll talk to some people and, uh, we'll have a good time. More to come on War Party U. Stick around. For Ryan Boyce, Michelle Bodkin, I'm Matt. Don't go nowhere. Well, with Oregon State on the on the docket this weekend, uh, I'd like to uh, bring in our good friend Michelle Body Count Vodkin to share some of her thoughts and insights on the upcoming matchup, what it means. Uh, what we can expect out of uh, those Oregon State Beavers up in the Big Potato Salad. Michelle, legitimize this show, won't you?
1: Welcome into to War Party Youth. This is Michelle Bodkin and I am hanging out with Ryan and Matt talking all things Utah football. So we're coming off of a bye week. You should be fresh, rested, all, all that good stuff. And they're going to get ready to take on the Oregon State Beavers who, ironically enough, currently sit second in the Pac-12 North race. I don't expect that to last very long, even though they have been playing about as well, as well as they have in the last, ooh, at least three years. Uh, they're definitely more inspired in the way that they approach things. But I think the talent gap, gap is still very much there, even though that also is improving, especially more on the offensive side of the ball. I think, I think they still have a lot of work to do on the defense. And I think that's that's probably what the difference maker in this game is going to be. I, I think Utah's offense should be able to run all over Oregon State's defense. Uh, but Oregon State's offense could realistically keep things interesting, at least for a little while. Uh, I don't know how great their depth is per se, but their starters have been as good as anybody. Um, some of the more notable stats on Oregon State... Is that they're not turning the ball over? Uh, they they have yet to throw an interception, just like Utah. So that's something to for sure keep your eye on as the Utes take on the Beavers in Corvallis. Um, and then it looks like they've also only lost one fumble, or no, they've they've had one fumble but they recovered it. So. You know they're they're not turning the ball over. They're not they're not giving essentially free points to their opponents by turning the ball over. They take good care of the football. Some of the other things to look at as far as Oregon State's offense is concerned. You know they're averaging 37 points per game. Uh, 26 touchdowns on the season. 125 total first downs. They're down efficiency. They're at about 50%. They've they've converted 35 of 65 attempts. Uh, Let's see. What else here? Uh, Their quarterback, Luba... Sorry, excuse me, Lutton, uh, is... Completing 107 of 174 passes. Uh, it's about seven, almost eight yards per completion. Uh, it, I, I mean, very, very efficient. Rushing, they've attempted 178 rushes. In, in the run game, they, they just hit the 1,000-mark points. They're averaging about 6 yards per carry, uh, 11 rushing touchdowns per game. I mean, uh, the, the interesting thing about Oregon State is they are a much more balanced team than what Utah's kind of faced thus far. Uh, they seem to throw it about as much as they run it and they seem to be about as I mean pretty pretty well balanced as far as the statistics are concerned I think though they have had yet to play against defense quite like Utah's and I I think Utah can handle these guys I I don't foresee I mean it, it is Corvallis and weird things seem to happen in Corvallis but I don't I just don't foresee Utah letting this get away from them or letting uh, letting Oregon State hang around too long and making this a game but maybe you know it's, it's the Pac-12 so maybe I'm totally wrong on that uh, some of Oregon State's key players to look at and and watch as as the game goes on, obviously kind of touched on their quarterback, Jake Lutton. Uh, he's, he's been very fantastic thus far and helped will Oregon State to a win over, I mean, a really crappy, like really, really crappy UCLA team. That team is just absolute garbage. Um, he's he's been completing, or he's completed thus far 100 of 161 attempts. He's over 1,000 yards passing. He has a completion percentage of 62.1%. Uh, four touchdown passes. He has taken seven sacks. I do expect Utah's Defensive front to maybe have a field day as far as that's concerned. Uh, as far as other notables, Artavis Pierce has been their top running back. Uh, he's rushed for a or excuse me, 482 total yards on on the season. I think the biggest weapon though for for Oregon State is their wide receiver Isaiah Hod- Hodgins uh he has six hundred and thirty-two yards uh or passing passing yards catches. Sorry, I'm I am struggling today. This is great. Uh but he, he seems to be their top threat this season. Uh more so than either of the running backs. Uh, as some of you probably recall, Dramar Jefferson was pretty outstanding last season, a little more quiet this year. Um, they haven't they don't seem to be relying on him quite as much. But let's see, let's take a closer look at Hodgins here. So he's he's got 43 receptions, 632 yards off at of those 43 receptions. He's averaging 14 almost fifteen yards per catch. Has a long of forty two and nine touchdowns on the season. I mean that's pretty outstanding. You can't you can't ask a guy to do more than that. Defensively, Oregon State it looks like their top top guys are a linebacker by the name of Hamilcar Rash, Rashid Jr. And he's a linebacker for them has 32, 31 tackles on the season, and then their defensive back, Sean Wilson, who has one interception on the year. Uh, those, those are names and guys to watch for as far as Oregon State's concerned. Uh, I will come back in the next segment and talk a little bit about what to expect out of Utah from this bye week again I think Oregon State has better pieces than they've had in a while and I think I think they are playing much more inspired than they have in the past and of course Corvallis can kind of be a weird place to try and play it seems like something odd always happens in those games but I just I have a hard time believing that this Utah team is really gonna let much of anything happen it may be the first quarter's really interesting and i kind of expect it to maybe get out of hand from there anyway in the next segment we will talk more utah football rather than oregon state football you are listening to war party U and i am michelle bodkin
0: have I mentioned yet that the Utes were on a bye last week and there was no game? If not, I, yeah, I don't like bye weeks. I get, I love, I I, I do like bye weeks. I love the opportunity that they afford the team to rest up, heal up. Uh, but man, a weekend without you football just sucks. And, uh, so we, we got through one. We got one more and the rest is just football. So we're gonna we're gonna set the way back machine to last season. Uh, curiously enough, on a bye week, um, I did uh, I, I did a little piece on some on a piece of uh, of, 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 of uniquely University of U, U, Utah urban legend. And uh, so, without further ado, uh, hey Matty Aces from 2018, why don't you take it? What's up, Ute fans? It's me again. Your favorite Matt. I'm the other white Matt. Uh, Matty Bumbo, a.k.a. Matty Aces, coming at you for War Party U Weekly Podcast. A little segment we like to call, filling time on the bye week, since we really don't have a game to talk about. And I got to thinking about urban legends. Uh, Growing up in Salt Lake, you know, you had stuff like, you know, there's Emo's Grave. It's a lot of fun. The lady in white up in the Avenue Cemetery. Man, that is some freaky shit. Okay, that is next level creepy. But, you know, there's one thing that has always fascinated me since I was a little kid, and that is the Fountain of Youth. So, I got digging around, and you know, with the age of, of accessibility and internet, I didn't have to look too far. Uh, before I came across the winter 2009 edition of Continuum, the magazine of the University of Utah, who in with whom we are not affiliated, um, an article called "Wondrous Water" by John Youngren, and uh, I got to read a little bit, and 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 it does. It talks about this little funny shack on the on the on the U of U campus uh, on the Rice Eccles property. If you've you've seen it, it's just a little brick building, uh, pretty nondescript. It's on. Uh, it's on the. It's west of the stadium, uh, on the south side. Little sign, hand painted sign up there that says Fountain of Ute. So, you know, what is the Fountain of Ute? and uh, you know what is its place in Utah mythology, and uh, and John Youngren says that as with Ponce de Leon and a certain other fountain, I began my search, and that's where I began my search. Um, now. It points to, uh, this reference me to uh, to, a, to a quirky little story, as Mr. Younggren calls it, um, and uh, it pointed me to yet another publication from 2009. Matt, what was not about 2009 that got everybody all up about urban legends? But probably because urban was gone, um, probably because... You know, we came off of the sugar bowl and man, we were we were loaded. And then the uh the following season and that TCU game happened and hold on, hold on. I'm 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 gonna curl up in the fetal position for a second, just thinking about that game and the damn blackout camo jerseys and everything. I don't yeah, okay. Not happy times. Let's get back to something a little bit more quirky. Like the Fountain of Ute. So this is an article in Red Thread, um, a a blog site run by the university. Uh, I've uh, reached out to both Continuum and... uh, and to uh, Red Thread, made sure I had permission to, 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 to reference them and, and everything. And, and the, the, the person I talked to from Continuum wanted to make sure that I understood that this is not real, this is all urban legend, and I refuse to believe that. So, you know, we had our differences and, and ate a piece of pie and everything was happy. So, uh, The mysterious Tale of the Fountain of Ute, as told by Andrew Thompson Landergini, May 28, 2009, on red thread, at the west end of Rice Stadium sits a nondescript brick building with few windows. Above the door, etched into the south wall, reads "Fountain of Ute." Originally built in 1931 to be a culinary well for campus, the site was acquired by the U in 1950. After which, some of the U's brightest biochem and geology students began using the building as a research lab. This same group of students. The Rad Scientist went on an intramural sports run that has yet to be rivaled at the U, winning four consecutive titles in basketball, flag football, and Glendale ski jumping. Now, or geland ski jumping, but I'll, let's call it Glendale ski jumping because you know that just brings to just brings like visions of really awesome stuff out in Glendale. Man, maybe they're ski jumping out you know a park where they filmed the Sandlot or something, man. But uh, y- y- there it is, man. They won a lot. And these were scientists, man. Come on, scientists ripping it up. And it, it, that, there's got to be something there, right? There's got to be something to a bunch of science geeks kicking ass in intramural sports for that long and that many. I mean, come on, basketball, football and ski jumping. That is some well-rounded athleticism right there. Some of the old timers that still remember the intramural rain by the RAD scientists recall the team always bringing its own water cooler to every event. After the students graduated they moved on to different parts of the country and left the lab empty but before they left they hung a sign the fountain of youth that we see today and they left a key to the building in a hidden spot somewhere on campus. It is believed that basketball coach Jack Gardner knew of the rad scientists and their research lab and directed some of the lackeys in the athletic department to find the key. No one noticed if they found anything, but Gardner's clubs did make it to the final four twice during the 60s. However, years later, one of the rad scientists, Adam B. Split, told the Salt Lake Tribune, no way Gardner found the key to the Fountain of Butte. Otherwise, they wouldn't have lost a game. Split would not comment on what, the fountain, what was in the Fountain of Butte, or what made it so magical. Word is, Urban Meyer and a group of assistants caught wind of the Fountain of Ute story when he arrived on campus and began a search for the key. And For the entire summer of 04, men in red and black tracksuits could be seen scouring campus. Whether Meyer and the football program found the key to the Fountain of Butte is still unknown, but the coach did leave a receipt to Doc's key shop in his desk. Whether he made a copy of the key to the Fountain of Butte to take with him to Gainesville is pure speculation. It also rumored that Meyer taped a copy of the key to the bottom of his desk for Coach Whittingham. Gonna guess Whitt didn't find it. The mainstream media credits the championship success merely to talented programs. Some attribute the success of, of the artesian well and the cold canyon stream water. Others say the well draws from a molten sample of tectonic plates boiling and stirring the fault lines asthenosphere, and uh, that this unique combination of magnesium, iron, silica, and Wasatch mountain water heightens the senses and sets off a hidden neuron in the brain that just wants to win, dubbed the wind switch. A university spokesperson will neither confirm nor deny the story. Interesting, is it not? Fascinating, is it not? Oh, I say it is. I say it is. Liz Abel, who was, at the time, was the Associate Athletics Director and Sports Information Director for the Utes, uh, claimed to have never heard of it, seen the building or the sign, but uh, she'd only been here there for 26 years. You know, understandable denials aside, did seem a little bit extreme, even for Utah representatives, looking to avoid connections to magical radioactive water. But I've seen the building. I know it's there. A peek inside, locked by creaky doors with worn padlocks offers very few clues as to what exactly it houses, or used to house, though one is able to see a danger, high voltage sign or two. Another allusion to radioactivity, perhaps? certainly appears less magical than marginal. You know, I don't know if it's real. I like to think it is. Which brings me to another interesting thought. A few years ago, when athletic director Chris Hill tried to distance himself and the program from our little brothers down south. It spurned a tantrum the likes of which this state rarely sees unless there's booze, weed, or sex involved. And that is Utah versus BYU. Launching a state audit of the university's athletic program because we're going to get those pesky Utes. We know they're up to something shady. It did result that there were missing keys that should have been accounted for at the Huntsman Center. Now, I'm not saying, but this Ute fan thinks that one of those missing keys is the key to the legendary Fountain of Ute. And I'll tell you what, we need to find that bad boy We need to use that bad boy and we need to put it squarely in the hands of Coach Kyle Whittingham. Onward and upward. Go Utes!
1: back to War Party U. I'm Michelle Bodkin and I am here with Matt and Ryan and we are breaking down everything Utah football. Last segment I just got done kind of talking about Oregon State, what they're going to be bringing to the game. Again, I I think they're much improved than they've been in the past. I don't don't think it's really going to be enough for them to overcome this Utah team. Uh, A few things that Utah does have going for them, we have, of course, Tyler Huntley, who has been absolutely phenomenal, and nobody nobody seems to want to talk about it. And it drives me absolutely up a wall. But when we're looking at this kid's stats for the season thus far, he has 85 completions on 114 attempts, over a thousand yards passing, uh, and he's completing his passes at 74%, which is phenomenal for for a quarterback. Like, you, you want them to kind of be in the 70 range. That usually indicates that your offense is pretty good and it's running pretty well. Uh, other notable statistics, he's averaging about 10 yards per throw. He has seven touchdowns, throwing touchdowns. He's only taken four sacks, which... Is a huge testament to him. Um, And and I think a little credit should go to the offensive line. I know that they're not quite where they want to be. I know they're not quite where I think fans want them to be. Uh, But they're still doing enough to keep Tyler safe. And then, of course, Tyler also has been keeping himself safe because of his ability to move around in the pocket a little bit and escape trouble when it comes up. Also, looking looking around, uh, you know, Zach Moss, he hasn't played the last like two games essentially, but he he's still leading the team. He has 393 yards on the season. Uh, he's rushed 63 times. I don't know that I expect him, and he's averaging, sorry, uh, before we get into that, he's averaging six yards per carry per rush, which is also absolutely phenomenal. And, and, I mean, he's been doing it against some reasonably good defenses. NIU's no joke. BYU is tough. Uh, you know, USC is tough, although he didn't finish that game. But, I mean, he was doing some nice things before he went down. He has four touchdowns on the season. I really, I really don't expect to see him in this game. Uh, if we do, I, it's probably just for like the first quarter, maybe just to help knock some rust off. But I think with the way that the younger guys have been playing, there's just really no need or reason in this game to have Zach Moss play. He's still going to break all of his records. He's still most likely going to be over 1,000 yards rushing this this season. Uh, but I, I think let him heal up a little bit more. Let them just stay fresh for some of the harder games that are coming up. Uh, and and keep building building some experience for your younger guys. Because the reality is, Zach Moss is gone after this year. And it's going to be on those younger guys to carry the load next year. And the more experience they have, the better I think they're going to do. You know, either having it be a group effort to replace that production or whether it's a guy or maybe two guys that kind of take that over but the more experience I think you can get them now in real game situations without it being a, a terrible threat and let's face it I mean like they they got some real game experience in in the in that USC game and and even Washington State to some degree. But I think, I think that USC game was probably tougher as far as defense goes. And, and they fared just fine. Uh, they, they were doing some nice things. So I, I, I just don't have a problem with them playing in this game and, and having Zach sit out for a little while longer. Uh, As far as receivers go, Brian Thompson has kind of emerged as being the top guy. He has 11 receptions, 310 yards off of those 11 receptions. He's averaging 28 yards per catch with a long of 82. He has two touchdowns. Uh, Behind him is tight end Brant Keithy, excuse me. Uh and then who else do we have here that's of note? Jalen Dixon, Samson Nakua, Solomon Enos, Damari Simpkins, Derek Vickers. I would say that kind of that kind of rounds out your rotation, and that's a very good rotation. Those guys have been so good. So so good. And I think we should expect to see more of them. I don't think Oregon State's DBs are terribly formidable. And so I think this might be a good game for them to really maybe air it out and, and show what they can do through the air too, just to give the running backs a little bit of a break. But who knows? I'm I'm not the offensive coordinator, so they most likely will probably still just run the ball because why why do anything risky if you don't have to? And I don't think they have to in this game. As far as the defense goes... Your leaders are actually the linebackers, which I think is fantastic news. Uh, your top tackler is Devin Lloyd. He has 38 tackles on the season. Interceptions, you have Francis Bernard, who has two. Julian Blackman also has two as well in the backfield. Uh, and I, I, again, I think turnovers are going to be a very interesting thing to watch in this game because neither team has turned the ball over much. And so it, it's gonna be interesting to see if either of these defenses can force the other team to make mistakes that they haven't been making the entire rest of the season. I think I I personally would place my bet on Utah's defense rattling up Oregon State's offense more than I would Oregon State's defense rattling up Utah's offense and maybe maybe that's huge bias on my part but I just I think Utah's defense is better and I think they're more capable of rattling uh what appears to be a, a fairly formidable offense. Like I, I will definitely give Oregon State props where props are due. I think they have some good weapons on the offensive side of the ball uh that can make make this game, like I said, interesting, at least for the first little while. I, I again I just I really don't anticipate this game getting out of hand, being much of a competition. But I mean again it's the Pac 12 who knows and it's Corvallis who knows that's two two who knows in one one game anyway it should be interesting to see how these guys come out of of the bye week i the one thing i'm really hoping to see i hope the offensive line continue to make some strides uh both just working on some fundamentals that i think will make things easier for the, the offense going forward as well as just just overall health. They've had a couple of guys kind of banged up. They've had to plug in other guys. It would be nice to see them at full strength, full health again, uh, which also should decomplicate some things moving forward as well. Anyway, you've been listening to War Party i I'm Michelle Bodkin, and... We'll be back after the break with more breakdowns.
0: Michelle, thank you as always for your insight and analysis. Looking at uh, at these games. Uh, we really appreciate everything you're adding to the podcast this year, and uh, we look forward to, to the rest of the season. Well, you fans, that wraps it up for another edition of War Party U. Come join us again next week, about the same time, about the same station. You know, we're everywhere you can find podcasts, and you know where to find us if you're listening, so we're not strangers, are we? Next week on War Party U, we'll look back on Utah, Oregon State. We'll be talking about the Utes getting a big win coming out of the bye week, ready to come home for Arizona State. We'll also be reviewing the War Party U experience in the new and improved Albert Gamboa Man Cave 2.0 extraordinaire, complete with ESPN 700 bathroom. I am supremely stoked. My lady is going to join me for for, for a game, which is a a rare occasion. So, yeah, Matty Aces is especially stoked on that. He's so stoked he's speaking into the third person. You know something good's going on. For Ryan Boyce and Michelle Body Count Bodkin, this is Matt Aces. Thanking you for joining us. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. And go Utes. This is Matt Allen from War Party U. I would like to take a moment away from Ute topics on this episode to take a moment of silence to remember the Los Angeles Dodgers. 106 wins in the regular season. And there it ends. Thank you.